Welcome to the show, everybody. My name is Pete Wright, and I am here with Dane Christensen. Hey, folks. And Megan Strand. Hey! And we are the Naked Marketers, and uh, I hope that you are listening to us uh, in the uh, in the iTunes. And you know why? Because that is the very best way to get the show. So make sure you head over to thenakedmarketers.com and subscribe. You're probably there right now if that's uh, how you're listening to the show and not in iTunes, then you should click on the subscribe in iTunes button because then you'll never have to worry about missing one of our shows. That's right. That's a big deal. It's a, it big, is a big deal. deal. Uh, we, how are you guys uh, today? How are you doing? Most excellent. I'm so glad to hear it. Dane, fabulous. Pete. Are you fabulous? I, they, I appreciate you asking. No, I mean it. I care. I, I care about what you're going through. Um, I, I care. Um, I, I care a lot about uh, advertising. Advertising is going up, and uh, we've got a couple of uh, links that you posted, uh, Dane, about the fact that we don't have to. We don't all have to go out um, and uh, start flipping burgers again. <laughs> yes, if you're right, if 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 your income uh, in any way relates to to marketing and advertising, I guess as a career, it's not. It's been a good first quarter, uh, and I think what what we were thinking was a very interesting. Um, you know, we we spend a lot of time in the show talking about social media and talking about internet marketing, and which continues to to grow. And of course, I don't think did terrible uh, during. Uh, this recent economic downturn, um, at least certain parts of internet marketing. But uh, first quarter of this year, new uh, reports are out that really advertising is up across the board in some traditional areas uh, like television uh, ad spending up 10.5%, radio up 6%, uh, internet up 7.5%. Uh, unfortunately, newspapers down 9.7%. And, and um, I think that's something maybe for another show we, we can sort of delve into because there are a lot of things I think to talk about in terms of, you know, what what does that mean and, you know, what type of advertising uh, do, do newspapers rely on and, ha- and how are things moving? How are they evolving? Because, of course, they have to. TV, I wouldn't have expected to be up mm-hmm. by 10.5%. either. So I wonder, I I wonder what's included in there, though. And this, this would be an interesting question for follow-up is, you know, does it does does payment for advertising to you know to the broadcasters that then distribute their content mm, on their own online. websites yeah. you know where does that money get counted yeah is that counted as internet marketing or is, or internet uh, ad spend or is that counted as you know the embedded ads in lost right no, that's well a good question. question and and yeah each each uh, I would think that'd be digital but digital, but you know, is it part of a partnership buy where if you buy certain yeah. amounts of yeah. you know internet, you get something on TV? Or you're the always other asking way the good questions, Peter. I, I just there's just, just a enough good I don't question know. asker. But you know what's interesting about this is you look at the newspapers, and I think this really is a a, a, a sign of the transition of of the economy. I mean, there, you look at the Wired magazine app, which is is sort of a bellwether for apps on for magazines on the iPad and their first edition sold 24,000 copies uh, you know it, the first edition on the iPad i think there is a demand for digital media and it's it's a demand for media in general that is being satisfied by a device paper was the old device and now we have a new device so why can't i read my newspaper on uh, you know, on my device, I would gladly well, subscribe to it. They just need that, to get their head around it. So, yeah, and that's the core there. I mean, yeah. um, I, I mean, obviously, ad spending is going to kind of go uh, up and down. You know, as companies, I guess, are able to, um, you know, feel confident in in increasing their budgets and and uh, you know, growing their market share. But when we talk about the distribution or the distribution or or you know, the way things are evolving, 
you know, that that's the constant, right? I mean, great media from great sources, great journalists, great stories. You know, it's not like all of a sudden nothing's happening in the world. We have heard for quite some time about, you know, the death of newspapers yeah. or print media or whatever. Well, that certainly doesn't mean the death of, 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 you know, great journalists being able to deliver great content and the world being an increasingly complex, you know, interesting, sometimes controversial place with, with, uh, and certainly, you know, blogs have increased, right? Um, our, our access to, to news and stories, but, um, you know, it's, it's just like you said with the Wired Magazine app, and I, I don't know, I'd kind of like to check out the Vanity Fair app on, on the iPad as well. Those are kind of my top two magazines that I, actually subscribe to both of them. It's good. It's good. Uh, both of those are, are they're, they're solid experiences for reading. I mean, there's, there's a demand. It's yeah. a matter of meeting the demand and, and making it uh, profitable. And it's just, you know, seems like it's not impossible to do, yeah. right? Yeah. Right. Just a changing face. Right. Hey, well, speaking right. of faces. I was just going to say, it's been three minutes since we've talked about Facebook. Let's so talk we, about oh, them talk again. About, hurry. Well, um, hurry. This is so funny. This, this cracks me up because we've talked about this on the show before, and it's all about the value of a Facebook fan. So apparently this week uh, during New York's annual Internet Week, there were two new social media technology companies, Syncaps and Vitru. I have no idea if I'm saying those right, that came out with the value of a Facebook fan, and they're really close. Syncaps has said that a Facebook fan is worth $136 per fan. Vitru came out with a calculation and they say a Facebook fan is worth $3.60. <laughs> so, you know, there is some they're pretty close. Complicated math a, in there. Yeah, and it's funny how they um how their calculation goes. So, you know, uh propensity re to recommend, brand affinity, loyalty, um and then oh. you have things like impressions per month and it just it just makes me laugh and it just to me is symptomatic of the fact that you know, these things are really tough to quantify, A, and B, it depends on what your goals are and what you're trying to accomplish through Facebook. Right. So, I, you know, it just, it makes me laugh. I think it's great that people are, are taking a stab at it, at uh, putting some metrics around it, um, and it still makes me sort of chuckle. Well, yeah, I mean, it's obvious we need some metrics around it, which is fine, but this is, I mean... The, how can I, it just makes it that much harder to take seriously when you have exactly. such a, a, a disparity, broad disparity. Yeah. So I, I think your point is spot on, like the idea that we, you know, you have to figure out what you're using Facebook for in order to then quantify. Exactly. Uh, it's what the it's value going to be to a different value to to my brand than it is to yours. So, yeah, yeah, uh, that's that's funny. Um, so anyway, not, you know, nothing. Uh, well, and, and, you know, there's another, uh, we do have a couple of other Facebook links, uh, uh, Facebook stories that we will post on the blog, uh, uh, just in terms of more statistics about how people use Facebook. And this time mm -hmm. comparing how you use Facebook against more, uh, lack of a better word, traditional digital communication like email. What do you check first, email or Facebook? And how much time right. do you spend on the internet being social? So and we have a couple more stories. Right, which is, you know, <laughs> nothing good. It just, says, <laughs> it just says porn. It's just porn. And, uh, and so anyway, we'll post those to the blog. Those are yeah. you know, worth checking out if you want to peruse and some interesting stories that we found. And I think maybe for next week we should try this. We'll do we'll do one week where we, um, you know, we commit to not talking about Facebook, and instead every time we're tempted to say Facebook, we'll we'll do Miley Cyrus news. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> it's gonna be a big I'm gonna, week. I'm kind of partial to Justin Bieber, actually. Can we do that? All right. 
All right. Uh, so we have other big events going on this week. Uh, we have a E3, uh, the uh, the Electronic uh, Entertainment Expo is going on uh, right now in Los Angeles. It is, uh, you know, was there any big game news, Dane? Do you follow the gaming? <laughs> well, here's here's the thing that jumped out at me, just because it's, it's something I was completely unaware of, and I'm, I'm kind of fascinated by this. But Virgin, uh, like as in Virgin Atlantic and, you know, Virgin Air and... Um, and just stop Virgin, right there. Virgin Sacrifice. And, Wait, no. And, and the Virgin Island. Um, anyway, uh, the Virgin Group. They're getting into online uh, gaming. Uh, let's see, what do they call it here? It's, they, they're, they're not calling it betting to stay on the right or gambling. Uh, they're calling it uh, games of skill, I guess. <laughs> Giving us money. <laughs> Games right. of or we That's break your knees. Something, yeah. I, I don't see a, a, a quoted. They're, they're just not calling it gambling or betting, but that's what it is. Uh, it's legal in all but 11 states. I got to imagine Utah is one of those 11 that it's not legal in. But uh, basically, uh, you're able to um, uh, challenge other players and try to beat uh, them at games like uh, Halo 3, for instance, and uh, you have the opportunity uh, to wager quite a bit of money, actually. No, no uh, wait, let me say that again. You can wager uh-huh. on your own performance in Halo 3, like in a ranked match. That's right. Players wage sums described as transactions and challenges against one another and not the house. The companies make money by taking service fees, a percentage of the winnings off the top. Wow. Yes. Why is Virgin getting into this, Dane? Uh, well, I imagine there's some profit to be made. Um, do, do you and, think? And, and primarily, obviously, it's that target age group. Uh, so it's, it's the idea that you have, say, these 18 to 35-year-old males who tend to, uh, whatever income they are making, they don't have uh, a, a whole lot of um, uh, dependents, for instance, uh, or, or um, certain kinds of you know debt uh, obligations that perhaps a 45-year-old female might have and not quite want to waste her, her, her money away playing video games. Uh, I, I don't know. It's kind of a double whammy of addiction, right? Video game addiction plus gambling addiction. I was There's just going to say, this, yeah, this is going to be... What they're doing is converting an existing gaming site called worldgaming.com, which already has 30,000 members, uh, and they're restricting it. So your maximum bet is 1000 bucks. You're limited to adding 500 to the account every seven days, and they claim they've got this whole uh, um, sort of database, I guess, that monitors where they might have an individual uh, who might be addicted, I guess. So they will suggest a restructuring of their account, perhaps, or possibly point them to... Uh, And and they're going to have, like, gambling or gambling... uh, What? Gambling Anonymous? Uh, It's going to have some some ads on the space, you know, some some mentions about, hey, this might be addictive for you. It's, uh, yeah, it's very interesting, right? So, so 500 500 a week. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm really surprised, again, from a marketing perspective that they that they stayed at 500 a week because that seems like a lot until you realize it's twenty six thousand dollars per year. And maybe maybe doing that limit is is uh, is a little doesn't sound as good. But it's also two dollars and ninety seven cents cents, you know, is that an hour? Uh, So, you know. Well, Look at you, you check it out. whipping Vin- out the math. Uh, well, I, yeah, I whipped out That's a calculator, awesome. to be fair. Let's, let's be <laughs> let's honest. Do, let's do that for our, our tool today, calculator. Yeah, yeah. So two, 297, uh, 24 hours a day, 297 an hour. That's, uh, you know, that's a much easier pitch. I, I can commit to 297 an hour. 
I, as a well, matter of fact, I think I may go ahead and develop a gambling addiction just on that kind of savings alone. Why not? Well, oh, visitors wow. can play for free and I'm wager a, as little as a dollar, but if you bet, the winner receives twice the bet. Minus Virgin's commission. Wow. And supposedly it's you know restricted to 18 and, and under. I don't quite know how they um, enforce a restriction like that. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, that's awesome. Way to go, E3, for giving us the kind of news that, that really contributes to developing it's our culture, the American culture. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the only other news from E3 is really just uh, equipment news. Microsoft has launched some new hardware. The, this is the Kinect uh, based on the Project Natal uh, that they've been working on, which is the controllerless interface. So you can sit down in front of your TV and turn on your Xbox and wave your hands in front of it, a la Minority Report, and have access to your to your entertainment content. And they really are pitching it as entertainment content because, you know, of course, it's always had Netflix integration and the Zune video store. And uh, so you can sit down as a family and play your games and then wave your hands and suddenly you're watching a movie and wave your hands in front of it and suddenly you're in a video call with Grandma who I'm sure is a big Xbox user. And, uh, and so it's, a, uh, you know, it's their play to really develop the living room experience. And, and so it should be interesting to see how that plays out once smart, smart advertisers and marketers get their hands on, on uh, uh, integrating it. I haven't heard anything about like, the integrated platform uh, for advertising yet, but it's ripe for the picking. So Peter, we'll see. you're never going to leave your house. I haven't left my house since 2007. <laughs> I'm not sure what you're talking about. Uh, not novel. Speaking of uh, new uh, geeky technology tools, what are you? Uh, wait, what's the UPS man bringing you? Oh, I did. I I pulled the trigger on iPhone four. I did. Yeah, it. you did. It is uh, uh, iPhone four went on pre uh, available for pre order on June fifteenth. Uh, in the middle of the night, they went live with the site, and uh, it promptly broke completely, <laughs> wholly. <laughs> irrevocably for at least 24 hours i that's i want to say be, only because that's how, about how long it took me to do it not 24 hours i uh so i started about seven o'clock in the morning trying to get my this makes me sound like a complete tool i know it's so awesome <laughs> i'm gonna talking. keep talking so i i literally it's like wait god man if only i could get those prince tickets I, you know I got up, I, I, yeah i got up from totally. a night of star trek marathon <laughs> <laughs> Having only had a little bit of sleep. No, I just, there are only so many Red Bulls a guy can drink. But thank God for Hot Pockets. You don't drink Red Bull. Red Bulls and Hot Pockets, Megan. Whatever. I know for a fact I don't do either of those. I uh, I started putting in my order, and uh, and it was not easy. It kept breaking. And this is unfortunate because the process was slow on Apple's site, but Apple.com is typically a pretty fast site. What was really slow is when it got to AT&T, when it has to verify your account information with AT&T, and it just broke, I mean, completely. Is Is this new from how they did it last time? Uh, you know, it, it is new, just the level of uh, of excitement about this particular phone. Uh, okay. And the results now are in that, you know, they, they took 600,000 pre-orders in that first day. Uh, okay. And so by about 5 o'clock that evening, once they had sort of ironed out the, the technical, um, the technical uh, foibles, uh, they ran out of phones. Uh, I think I actually I think I got my order in about five thirty, but it was shortly after that that they ran out of phones available for pre order. And now the if you order or after that point it was you know June second you could get your phone or uh, July second and then out to July fourteenth. So I think they're making phones as fast as they can uh, yeah. actually take orders for them. So, um, but they've never AT and T said there's the demand for this phone was ten times demand wow. for opening day. 
for the iPhone 3GS. So people are definitely getting around this so, phone. I think a lot of upgraders are hitting okay, so, this time. So tell me, as um, somebody who will, is not going to upgrade my iPhone anytime soon, tell me what I'm missing out on. Well, there are a couple of things you're missing out on. I think the you know the the feature set of the phone is you know there's a an incredibly high resolution screen. Um, you know if you if you look at your laser printer, you know laser print is about 300 dots per inch. So when you look at a laser print, you know the text is very crisp and clean, and that's because your eye perceives no dots. All right. So well, in the pixelization of the printing, it's about 300 dots per inch. Well, Apple is, uh, you know, they've they've added to the iPhone 4 a what they call the Retina display, which is uh, effectively 326 dots per inch on the screen. Now, the report is from people who've held it that it's absolutely unbelievable that it looks like print on the screen, like it looks like the f- electronic like paper. The it is so clear. Like no, much, of- much, much more, uh, much higher density than the Kindle. Huh. Um, and, and so, I mean, it, it looks like a, a printed page. It is so clear, which, of course, makes it incredibly useful for reading, you know, text-dense documents. You're reading still really books. Small. You're reading things. That's it. But you can read even more very small because it's not fuzzy. So that that's one thing. So you get that. You get the, it's it's made out of a what what they're calling I think it's an aluminosilicate glass. The the glass on the front and the glass on the back uh which they say is much is 30% harder and sc- more scratch resistant than plastic and and uh, so that should be interesting. But the biggest one I think for you given how many you know what you say about dropped calls coming between uh, you know Washington and Oregon, they have changed the design of the phone and the rumor is Though, uh, you know, I don't have any um, any news from Apple, but the rumor is they have fixed a problem in this phone with the way it handles the constant connection to AT&T uh, that puts so much stress on the network with iPhones that it turns out there may be an issue with the way the phone is architected and the way it communicates uh, that causes dropped calls so frequently that they haven't been able to fix with software. They have much bigger antennas. The entire bezel of the phone, the the frame of the phone is stainless steel, not aluminum, because aluminum you can't use as an antenna. Stainless mm-hmm. steel you use as an antenna. So that's one of the things they've started talking about in their marketing message that, you know, look at the size of the antenna on this thing. Think about the size of the tumor you'll be able to carry around. Exactly, in your head. No. that is exactly what I was well, just going to say. Well, but you won't have dropped calls, so yeah, okay. you pick well, your poison. Now that makes me feel a little bit bad because I've been railing against AT and T for so long, and it well, and <laughs> I, I don't tweets I, about dropped calls, but so maybe it actually wasn't AT. I think it, I think it's a combination of of yeah. the two providers. I don't want to kind of belabor the point, that, but yeah. but I think it's a combination. I think you know we'll see. Um, it, you know what iPhone four is able to deliver, but I you know it is a it's a beautiful piece of equipment. HD video. Uh, shoot and edit HD video iMovie for the iPhone. This completely changes things because now you don't need your flip camera. You can get rid of that because you're shooting HD and editing with transitions and uploading 720p HD video to YouTube from the field. You never have to touch a computer with your with your work. I mean, can you do an external mic? Yes, yeah, yeah. There's there you can do. There is a um, uh, there's a fantastic mic from BlueMic.com called the Mikey that is coming. There's one that exists now. The Mikey Two is coming out in um, uh, uh, in uh, the summer, which plugs into the dock connector and lets you uh, lets you capture. 
really high fidelity, fantastic stereo audio right into your iPhone. So, yeah, wow. I mean, there. Wow. I, I mean, I know you just bought the flip camera, yeah, Megan. So I'm I gonna. Didn't buy the flip. Well, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't buy the flip. You what did you? Oh, you bought this Kodak, the ZI8, right? Yeah. I, I'd dump that in a flat heartbeat and get yeah, on, get right. in line to uh, upgrade your phone. Uh, it it it's going to be the the device for. Thanks for telling me that two weeks ago, Peter. Well, I didn't know that two weeks ago. <laughs> so anyway, this is going to be it's going to be a great phone for producing content in the field, and I think it's it's one that you know if you're you know working in the video business, you need this is yeah. one of the tools to that's really going to help out. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Okay. That's, now I'm a little jealous. Okay. Yeah. Okay, moving on before I get iPhone envy. Well, let's uh, let's close it up with uh, with the debate over the word tweet. And oh York my Times. gosh, Can we this do that? is so funny to me. I hadn't even heard about this until uh, until you posted the Stephen well, Colbert video. Is how real is it? I mean, I didn't read the editorial. Okay, so what happened? I believe was there was a big brouhaha over. Uh, I believe the editor of the New York Times banning the word tweet, saying it, it, it's not actually a proper English word. And what I read first was his, um, I don't know if he did an op-ed or just, I don't know exactly what it was that he did, but um, a piece saying, okay, people, I didn't ban the word tweet, but here's my point. It's not an English term and, you know, we have a standard to uphold and la, 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 la. As with anything else, the New York Times, we, you know, offer suggestions. We don't have any hard and fast rules around grammar. And, you know, he at the, at the end, it was funny because he... He offered alternate suggestions to, you know, saying, I tweeted this or this was tweeted. How about Twote. post a tweet? Post a tweet message. How what? about it was, oh, it was so clunky. It was like, how about post a tweet <laughs> message or um, I, I sent it out through the network on Twitter. I mean, it was just so funny. Um, so anyway, Colbert came up with this just hilarious piece, as only Colbert can do. Um, about the the debate over the word tweet and it was just it's super funny and we'll put it on the show notes but i don't know if either of you have any commentary well, or the, the only know. comment was that the the quote which really hammered it home <laughs> from colbert was uh twitter hasn't banned the word newspaper <laughs> <laughs> although everybody else in the world has i mean it's uh it's a great piece. i think it's the other thing too is that colbert used it in like a past tense didn't he say like quote quote yeah i know <laughs> I thought it was really funny. So anyway, you guys will get a kick out of that for sure. Uh, hit the show notes and, and watch the Colbert video because it's very, very funny. But we'll put it on the blog and we'll post it on Twitter and then it will have been twozened. Twozened. Twozen mm -hmm. for that's time immemorial. Past, is that past blue perfect? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> We've lost him completely. Oh, my goodness. I'm that's into this fantastic. Mikey, man. I'm, I'm checking this out. <laughs> and there's Dane. Uh, I think, you know, I think this has been a uh, fantastic uh, segment, uh, and now it's time to actually uh, bring the smarts. What do you say? And raise the bar. Let's yeah, um, I'm very excited uh, that we are going to be joined today by Greg Schneider of 3BL Media in an industry that is near and dear to my heart. So um, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to hearing uh, what he has to say about all things having to do with content creation and new media in uh, the space of corporate social responsibility and sustainability and cause-related marketing. Today, we are thrilled to be joined by Greg Schneider, co-founder and CEO of 3BL Media. Greg, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So 3PL is a key player in the fields of corporate social responsibility, sustainability, and cause marketing, uh, which are all topics that are near and dear to my heart. Um, and I met Greg a couple of weeks ago at the Cause Marketing Forum conference in Chicago, and he and I got to talking a little bit about 3BL Media 
um, and about their business model. And I was so fascinated by what they're doing in this space that I asked Greg if he'd join us to talk a little bit more about that. And he graciously agreed. So thank you, Greg. Um, I wonder if we could start out and you could just give us a general overview of 3BL Media and maybe talk a little bit about um, the evolution for, for marketing professionals um, from the days where the media release was the way to get your information out. So I wonder if you could, could do that for us. Sure. Well, 3BL Media, which stands for Triple Bottom Line, obviously, Triple Bottom Line Media, um, is, is in the communication space specifically around corporate social responsibility, sustainability, and cause-related issues. Um, we believe that we can make the greatest difference in this way by communications. So we evolved 3BL Media in an effort to help organizations involved in some of these important issues uh, to help them get their message and their words out to affect how people do business today. So can you talk a little bit about um, what has changed in this in this space when um, you know, back in the day, the way to get media out or to get your message out as a company was to send out a press release. You know, that that was it, you know, and you faxed it to a bunch of different people and um, sometimes people picked it up and sometimes they didn't. So can you talk a little bit about the evolution and, and, and you know, as a co-founder of this company, you know, what was the, what was the market opportunity that you saw? Like what, what compelled you guys to, to pull this together? Well, so much of us came from um, the news distribution business where most of the news that we were involved in distributing were, was in the form of press releases, you know, and this is dating back to, you know, late 04, early 05, when corporate social responsibility was mostly associated with philanthropy. You know, a little ways on, there was more and more press releases about environment, and obviously that continued to grow and grow to include other topics, you know, such as diversity and human rights and fair trade and many, many other issues. While that was happening, it was clear that the audience interested in these topics was also growing tremendously. You know, factor in a new administration in Washington with a focus on green business, green jobs, etc., um, a demand for alternate means of energy, and just consumer demand. You know, people in general wanting to know what are the companies that I'm buying my products and services from doing to help the environment and help society. So we recognize that the audience interested in this information was growing. We knew that the press release was not the ideal vehicle to engage with them, but we also knew that organizations were developing many, many other formats of messaging or what we might call media assets. And these include things that most people now are familiar with and interact with on a daily basis. These are blogs and videos and podcasts and reports and white papers and so on. You know, the press release as a vehicle is still a useful and meaningful vehicle and part of, of any decent you know, overall um, outreach campaign. But, you know, as we like to talk about or joke sometimes with some of the organizations we work with, it's impossible to convey an organization's full commitment to corporate social responsibility or sustainability in a 400-word press release written by the PR department and tweaked by legal. You, you know, all, I'm sorry, Greg, I don't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. I was going to say with all of the other great assets that these companies are typically creating, there's such an opportunity for them to convey their passion and their, you know, their reason for doing what they do. It's not uncommon for us to have executive directors' blogs being written, or these days with the advent of the flip cam, you know, these short videos with some of the employees really talking passionately about some of the initiatives that they're involved with, with their organization, say on a volunteer basis, for example. That's the kind of um, media and the kind of information that we are helping organizations to distribute. And we just feel like, and our clients feel like, it has just far surpassed the age-old way of distribute a press release and hope someone reads it. 
what we're seeing here is a change in ownership of of the message. You know, rather than an an organization trying to sell it to some sort of a media outlet to get it out there, we're we're looking at organizations taking more ownership of their own message, creating, as you say, their own media assets, and and distributing them in their own new way. But there's a pretty steep learning curve for organizations to figure out how to become media outlets, right? I mean, is that is that part of your biggest challenge? Or, or you know, if not, what is? We try and keep ourselves really focused on our core competency, which is distribution of content. We're not a marketing firm. Um, we're not an advertising firm. You know. That being said, I think you know, as you as you may agree, over the past several years, we've seen a real blurring of the line between public relations and marketing and advertising, and factor in social media, which is just you know who knows what these days in terms of how to use it. And I think there's a lot of confusion around that. What we try and do is we try and help companies understand that all of these new tools that are out there are simply other channels and other means and other ways that they can get their message out. And we're not trying to teach them to be media companies or how to manage their media. What we're pointing out is all of these new opportunities give you additional ways to engage with stakeholders, people that care about what you're doing. And if there are people that want to get their news on Facebook or want to get their news on Development Crossing or want to follow the news on Twitter, make sure that you're getting your messaging to those people using those channels. That's what we try and help them do. And in a lot of ways, it just seems to be, to be common sense. The press release being sent out to the media is one channel and a useful channel, but not the only channel. I'm just curious as I listen to this. I know, um, Greg, you've got a, a you know a, a background in in media, I guess, in in um, traditional news outlets or a news um, uh, background. And I'm hearing you talk about this, um, you know, sort of instilling, um, I guess, a, a a passion for for sharing in a way. You know, so so maybe it's not so much um, uh, a single source within the company. You've got uh, you've got the organizations you work with, it sounds like you, I mean, the picture you're painting is that you're helping to train them uh, to get a lot of people on board and, and, and to find opportunities to, uh, to, I guess, as Pete's suggesting, create the content a little bit, but just, you know, uh, not just different ways to, to share the message, but different ways to, uh, again, um, come up with that message, I guess, or, or, or to share the activities or, or uh, the causes, the things that are going on. Were you, as you developed this, uh, w- was there anything that you were looking at uh, outside of, um, you know, the areas that, that you're involved in with like cause marketing and, and corporate social responsibility? Was, are, are there, were, were there models that existed for what you're doing uh, outside of this area, or do you feel like you're kind of, uh, you know, vanguarding here that this is really uh, unique in, in, in more ways than just the niche that, that you're pursuing? I don't think it's actually all that novel. I think we're just taking advantage of an opportunity that seems obvious. Um, you know, it was a natural evolution from a newswire business that was focused on just distributing press releases to say, well, what other content does an organization have that they can distribute that might be more engaging with the audience? So I would say it's it's more of a, a natural evolution than anything sort of entrepreneurial. Um, when we face some of the biggest challenges we face, I think, is is keeping ourselves defined as an organization that helps to distribute this different type of information. And often, you know, because of these blurred lines around marketing and advertising and PR, we'll be asked questions like, can you help us create content? Or we'll be asked, um, can you help us put together our social media strategy? And all of these things happening at once make for, I think, a very confusing environment for everybody in the communication space. 
Um, and we don't do those things. You know, we are not a social media consulting company. We use social media as a powerful tool and a way to help distribute information, but we're not a social media strategy company. We find ourselves talking to people in the digital department, in the marketing department, in the advertising department, and in the communications department. And so I think that, frankly, you know, everybody is confused about communications in general these days. How does one go about leveraging the social web? How does one go about leveraging and using some of those media assets that they've been creating that really help to tell the story? Um, but I don't think that uh, I don't think there's anything uh, magic or or special, frankly, about what we do. Again, kind of coming back to common sense. If an organization is devoting a lot of time and a lot of energy and resources to creating ways to tell their story, whether it's coming from the marketing department or the advertising department or the traditional PR department, use those assets to get them out there. And now there's just such an opportunity to do that. And we're, we're a catalyst for that. We're a portal for that. We just help them do that. If, if a client or a potential client comes to you and, and they've got a blog, for instance, um, uh, and they just, you know, they just are hoping people see it. They have no way to, um, they don't have any ideas, I guess, uh, uh, how to really increase their audience. I mean, is that something, is that a big sort of core part of what you do is help to promote and distribute blog content that companies are already creating? Is that a big part of it? Uh, we do a lot of that, and that's exciting for us because we get to watch some of the largest companies in the world, you know, say to us, "Can you help us distribute our blog?" And sometimes it's funny. We're thinking, "Well, you're, you know, X Y Z company. You've got a zillion dollar market cap. Why are you asking us that?" You know, but they're starting to get open to that. And for the most part, these are traditional public relations professionals. They're not used to doing that, and so they want some help. They want to know, you know, how do we get that blog exposed to some of the key influencers out there on the social web, whether it's Twitter or LinkedIn or elsewhere. You know, they know that we can help them with that specific to the corporate social responsibility space. You know, that's where the expertise resides. Okay. Uh, and so but organizations come to us for a lot of different reasons. You know, some of them are, you know, traditionally distributing press releases. They want to have those press releases also make it into some other avenues. Um, other organizations are saying to us, help us get some more readership to our blog. You know, we're, we're known for being the, the largest number one, say, um, whatever, you know, retail establishment on the planet, but we want to have more people reading our blog. Can you help us with that? Other organizations will come to us and say, can you help us drive more awareness of a conference or a webinar we have coming up and drive some traffic to that? Some people will say, can you help us attract more fans to our Facebook page or to our Twitter following? So again, you know, those lines are blurring again as to what do we do? You know, it all comes down to exposing them to this audience. Can I ask you to do some armchair quarterbacking? Uh, and I'm assuming it's only armchair because I'm, I, I, I don't know if these guys are your clients. It seems almost crass uh, to, given the tragedy going on in the Gulf right now, uh, to to bring up, uh, you know, to bring up media uh, and strategy from BP. But I'm curious, given your uh, domain of expertise, how you think they're doing in communicating with the world? Uh, sometimes I think they're doing good. Sometimes I think they're doing bad. And I, you know, I know that's a safe answer. We had a large debate about this last night over dinner, and uh, you know, the government's role, and you know, what Obama's doing in his speech the other day. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's a very, very difficult situation, and probably a whole lot more complicated than everybody thinks it is. So, uh, you know, it's a tragedy, and I, I think you know, I'm more focused on that and seeing how it gets resolved than than how are they doing communicating. You know, it, it's easy to criticize their communication. You know, every day they have a full page ad in the Wall Street Journal talking about claims they're settling and things they're doing and how to reach them. And on one hand I would say that's a great effort. On the other hand, I could say that's all they're doing. Yeah. So 
Hard yeah. to say. Easy to talk out of both sides of your mouth. I mean, I look at their, I, I'm, I'm looking at their site, and you know, it seems to me that they, you know, they're doing their level best to access all the various channels you've been talking about to try to be in front of all the various, you know, they're trying to be on YouTube and and Flickr and BP America on Facebook and Twitter, and they're looking at all these things, and yet. Then you have you you still have uh, again out of the other side of your face you've got the uh, the BP uh, oh now see I've forgotten the exact Twitter uh, name uh, the BP uh, press guy the the satirist uh, well see now I'm going to have to find it uh, but <laughs> you know it's that it's this this idea that you know can is there such a thing as as uh, you know as uh, doing this with with pure uh, integrity. You know, it, it, it's it's difficult to, um, you know, from the standpoint of a corporate public relations uh, perspective, to do anything that comes off as purely uh, you know, to have a pure integrity uh, in the market space. There's always going to be the vocal critic out there, and sure. uh, and and I wonder, you know, how uh, how you you uh, perceive doing the communications work that you do and helping your clients strategize with integrity. Yeah. Well, again, you know, when it comes to strategy, you know, the strategy that we will be involved in will be strategy around helping them to distribute their messaging, not create their messaging. You know, and I, and I you know, I'm, I hate to keep, you know, doesn't, focusing doesn't on that, that. Doesn't that go, isn't that the same, uh, isn't that one and the same? I mean, if you, if you, say I have a message, how I get it out there, doesn't it speak just as, as uh, broadly about my, uh, uh, about my campaign as what that message is? Well, I mean, to, to focus back on, on BP for a second, I mean, there's obviously a, you know, a, a, a large sector of public relations called, you know, you know, crisis communication and crisis management. Right. We're not involved in that. We don't see a lot of that either in 3BL Media or the Newswire business that I was involved with previously around corporate social responsibility. For the most part, you know, the news and the content that we're distributing is about initiatives that these organizations are involved in, good things that they're doing. You know, that's why you hear the term good corporate citizenship a lot. There's no doubt that there are, are critics. There's no doubt that there are naysayers. And, you know, for sure, people will accuse these organizations, especially the larger ones that we work with, of, of doing what people refer to as greenwashing. And we'll even have, you know, cases where some organizations will say, well, we don't want to put this out because we'll just be accused of such and such. And I think the beauty about corporate social responsibility communications, and especially now with the ability to engage with tools such as social media, is you enter the dialogue, and if you enter the dialogue and interact honestly in that dialogue, you really can't be criticized for doing that. People will always be on, on both sides of the issue, whatever it happens to be. But I think it's a whole lot more prudent for organizations to get involved in the to get involved in the conversation than to try and avoid it altogether, or to try to, to use it in a defensive way. And we don't see a whole lot of that, you know, with us. Well, I think that's a, a great point in that. Um, and, and, you know, it kind of does go back to this education piece that I know you guys are trying to steer away from, but it does go back to that point of being there and being accessible. Because when, when people are talking about you in these channels and you don't respond, it looks awful. And what happens is people just kind of jump to their own conclusions and you've got a million bloggers out there who just form their own opinions and their own scenarios. And if you're not there to address it, um, that's a huge hole. So, I, you know, I sort of see that as a benefit to what 3BL is doing as well is is um, providing that that space to enter into and say you know 
you might want to look at being here, here, and here because people are talking about you already. So, right. um, and so I guess my question for you would be, what is there? Is there a progression that you see in these companies? Um, and you can take an example from a, a small or a large corporation. But is there a progression that you see in companies working with 3BL? Like, do they start out saying, "Okay, here's our blog," and then like, do you try to ramp them up into saying, "Okay, well, how about do some video and how about do some podcasting?" I mean, is there a continuum, or does it depend on the organization? It really does depend on the organization, how busy they are, you know, what's involved in getting approved by legal, things like that. Um, it's been interesting to see, you know, one of the larger publicly traded companies that we work with um, will send us video or will even go there and shoot some video occasionally and distribute it. And oddly, it doesn't go through their legal department. On the other hand, every press release goes through so many different layers of, of um, approval. So that's an interesting thing to see. Um, some companies, when they come to us right off the bat, they recognize that you know, we're not just a means for distributing a release, but that we are uh, an avenue for distributing some of this other content that they have. And then it's just a matter of them organizing it. And you know, we tend to, tend to counsel organizations to work in campaigns. So if they have a campaign um, that might support, just in general, why do they exist? And what are some media assets that they might have that help define them as an organization? What's the passion? What do they stand for? Do they have blogs, videos, releases, anything like that? And we'll create a campaign where we put out um, content around that all linked together so people can get a bigger sense of what is this organization about. They might also have a campaign around something that's more traditionally newsworthy or a campaign around um, some other activities. Maybe it's where will they be speaking? You know, What events will they be at over the next three months or six months or whatever it happens to be? So I think we've been successful in helping organizations think about some of this news and content distribution in a campaign way. And I think they have to do that um, because they suddenly recognize they have so much more content than they ever thought about when it came to distribution of that content. So that, you know, it actually brings up a, a follow-up question for me. How do you help your clients? How do you measure results? I mean, what does success look like when it's not just, you know, it's not a release, you know, when it's not something that you can just measure how many, you know, hits you got in, in uh, you know, traditional print? Uh, how do you uh, how do you show when you've been successful uh, with one of your clients? Well, that's that's the magic question. I mean, and I think the question still applies to what's success with a press release. I mean, if success with a press release is getting a call from the media, you know, that's great. But I would say that there's a very, very, very low percentage of success if that's the case. Other than, you know, other than some of obviously the major public companies that are up being followed by particular members of the press. So, you know, what is success when it comes to? Um, I guess what we could call engaging in social media, I would say that gets defined initially by by the organization doing distribution. And we hear a lot about social media measurement, social media return on investment. What does this mean? And um, and there are some you know great tools out there that will gauge things like sentiment and whatnot. You know, I would say what what is the goal in the first place? And let's measure success against that. And we've had some companies come to us. You know, I'm thinking in particular of a large public company that I had no idea this was their goal, but they said to us, our goal is to get more people reading our blog and to consider us um, a subject expert matter in this particular arena. And it was around green building. I had no idea this company was gonna say this to us. So that's an easy measurement. Whether we and them together are successful at that, you know, is to be determined. But if they say, look, we want to have X number of people or X number of views on our blog, that's something we can work towards. So all of the content that we help to distribute will link back to their blog. You know, our goal is not to be a destination site. You know, we're not saying come read the news at 3blmedia.com. 
We're saying there are communities of people out there that are interested in these topics and they interact in various ways. Let's get you clients, let's get your content out in front of them and then link them back to you. That's what we're trying to do. So some people will define success as you know more reads on their blog. Some people will define it as more people registered for their conference. And, and we ask ourselves this internally all the time around, you know, why does, you know, XYZ big public company use us? They've got the tools and the resources to be able to do this themselves. And, you know, to the best we can figure, frankly, it's because they know that the team here knows corporate social responsibility, that we know the space, that we know the influencers, and that we're very, very active in that space. We can help them become a part of that conversation. When they say to us then, how come no one's engaging on our content? You know, we'll look back at them and say, have you commented on it? Have you engaged? You need to get involved. And we can help bring you there. But A, the content needs to be compelling, and B, you need to be willing to commit the time to participate. It's not just going to happen by putting it there. Boy, uh, that's, uh, that is such a great, uh, great message. The, the whole concept, A, of hiring out to, to get social media done uh, to deliver on your social media messages is sort of um, a, a spurious argument that you, if, you, if you can't commit the resources, the people, to actually get in there and monitor your own message and, and, and communicate, boy, it, it's, uh, it, it, it comes off as more disingenuous than not being a part of the discussion at all. Well, that's that I think is the definitely the great point of social media, Pete. In in, in general, is it you know you can outsource uh, um, advertising, I guess you can outsource the campaign creation or you know a media buy. Uh, you can outsource in, in Greg's case. I mean the the expertise to help, but uh, but but you know where Greg's talking about coming back to the company and saying, and and I love to hear it as well, Pete. I think this is this is just so so important to hear and to talk about that the company itself can't really just, you know, sort of play this off and say, gee, we hope somebody takes care of this for us. They have to care. They have to have some something to say. And as Greg mentioned, a comment. They have to get involved. And otherwise, it just doesn't work. And there's a lot of content out there. Not not everything is going to be interacted around. Right. And, and it just I think people need to need to start to accept and understand that when it comes to some of the quantitative measurements you know again I would look back at sort of the older model of press releases people would call us all the time and say how many views did my press release get and I was always reluctant to give them a number because you can give them a number and it doesn't really matter if it's a hundred or ten thousand the response to that is typically is that good yeah what is that? <laughs> that's right you know? yes yes it's yay, right or yay what is why does the number really matter and and again the premise behind the 3b and one of the reasons we wanted to do what we're doing was we have a subscription model, first of all, so organizations don't have to pay us every single time they put content out. The result of that is a willingness for them to experiment in putting out different forms of messaging, sort of the smaller stories that they w might not consider newsworthy or worthy of spending seven or $800 in a press release. You know, so they can put out a paragraph with a short flip cam video, or they can put out a half a blog with a link back to the full blog. They can start to put out some of this other content. Ideally, much like advertising, it needs to be done over time. That's why our subscriptions tend to be long-term subscriptions. And during that time, what we see is organizations, both large and small, starting to experiment with a lot of other things, starting to put out lots of blogs, starting to position themselves as subject matter experts, which may or may not have been their initial intention. And overall, the buzz and their interaction and their awareness and the awareness of them in that space starts to grow. You know, corresponding, of course, with the level at which they participate in that space. 
Um, you know, to the extent that that gets quantified, and I mean, let's face it, everybody sells something. Um, to the extent that that translates to sales, you know, I don't know. I think if they come to us and they say, this is our goal, it's to sell more of this, I would never commit to that. You know, that's not what we do. We can drive awareness. We can drive traffic. We can make you part of the conversation. To the extent that somebody finds your message or your product or your service compelling, that's up to you, whether it's a press release or a blog or a video. Uh, let me ask you about your uh, your opinion of ownership inside the company. Uh, how do you, uh, in, in terms of building a best practice, you know, Megan asked the question about maturity. You know, uh, you know what what do you see companies, you know, doing that really becomes a best practice for a mature uh, organization dealing with social media communicating uh, communicating in terms of who owns the process in the organization? Is it marketing is it uh you know uh, pr is it uh, or is it something that's that's broadly uh, curated uh, or, or broadly encouraged by the rest of the uh, you know for all employees to take ownership and everybody should have a blog or no not everybody should have a blog this should be owned and focused by a certain department what's a best practice there yeah, that, that's a tough one to answer because there, there are really two avenues that we're always, you know, have, have one foot in each. One is corporate social responsibility in general, and even that doesn't necessarily always reside in the same part of a company. Sometimes it's in marketing, sometimes it's its own department, sometimes it's in public relations. It can be anywhere. So when you mix that with who's handling social media, you know, again, it makes it even more confusing. Sometimes it's digital, sometimes it's PR, sometimes it's advertising, sometimes it's marketing. When you put the two together, you know, I'm, I don't think that anybody yet has identified a best practice. Um, I think that, you know, some, some trends that we're starting to see is, at least among some of the larger companies, is a loosening of some policies around communicating. You know, they recognize that they can't say, nobody here can have a personal Twitter account, nobody here can tweet about the company. They, they can't put those controls on. If they start to, clearly it will backfire. And so we're seeing a lot more um, personalities, you know, individual personalities emerge from organizations representing the organization in the CSR sustainability and cause space. Um, and somehow they've been clearly given the freedom and what seems to be the support to do that on behalf of the organization. So we're seeing a lot of that. You know, we'll see individuals who we get to know tweeting about, for example, um, some of the things going on in a company. We're just in general interacting around corporate social responsibility, even if it's not about the organization they represent, even though clearly they're tied to an organization. Which ends I up serving that, their brand even more. Yeah, I think that's a that's a that's a you know that's a best practice. Yeah. Uh, I think it's to be seen what that translates to and what happens over time. I think um, you know it'll be natural for big companies to try and systematize that and figure out how can they scale that. But then again, we're back to the individual. How do you scale that individual with that personality, that in, that ability to interact in a meaningful way? You probably can't. Yeah. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure what best practices will evolve. Um, we see a lot of a lot of organizations out there saying we have developed a system that enables you to really broadcast your messages through social media to multiple channels at one time in an automated way you know that's a trend i don't think it's a best practice i think it's a worst practice and the reason yeah. i think is because you know there are different there are different um different sort of rules of engagement or etiquette that need to be um, abided by in these different communities and to try and automate some of that just doesn't work and we spend a lot of time in literally hundreds of different social networks and online communities and still from time to time get our wrists slapped and say, you can't engage with us that way. You can't post that content here. So wow. it's a, 
you know, it's it's a tricky proposition. I think it'll be a long time before anybody figures it out, you know, in a in a meaningful way. The only thing I would say, you know, now that everybody should be doing, whether it's a large or a small company, is if you're going to engage in it, you know, do it in an authentic and genuine and meaningful way. Don't just do it as, oh, here's another channel for us to sell product or service. That won't work. That's a great point. In in that respect, I think I'm using the wrong uh, the wrong vernacular entirely. I mean, it's not it's not about ownership. It's about encouragement and support. And as you say, uh, authenticity. And that's across the board. I mean, we we work with one you know uh, publicly traded company, and we went into them to tell them about the service, and we were talking a little bit about Twitter, and they said, you know, we'll stop you right there. Um, don't talk to us about Twitter. We're not on Twitter. We don't want to be on Twitter. You know, we gently had to point out to them whether they like it or not. They are all over Twitter. Right. All the <laughs> name, and they were surprised to see that and have to make the decision. You know, do they get involved and try and you know turn some of these issues around for some of the negative things that are being said, or do they just stay out of it? You know, and I think they're still making that you know still making that decision. Well, this is uh, this has been a great talk, Greg. We so appreciate your time. Where. Uh, it, if our listeners want to learn more about uh, 3BL Media and, and uh, some of the things that you guys do, the services that you offer your clients, uh, where would you like to point them? Well, again, the service is really simple. It's distribution of corporate social responsible news and content. Best way to learn a little bit more about it, see some examples, see some of the companies and nonprofit organizations that we're working with would be to go to the website, 3blmedia.com. Fantastic, and you have uh, you you guys actually have your own uh, podcast too. Yes, the is this the CSR Minute? We do a, a series of videos um, that are also available by podcast. Uh, there's the CSR Minute, which is really just a daily video digest of breaking news, issues and trends, for-profit, non-profit partnerships. We film that every day here in a studio. We also do the CSR Report, which is more in-depth reporting, uh, executive interviews conference coverage, company profiles, um, typically done by some of the more well-known bloggers and writers and consultants in the CSR and sustainability space. And then finally, we have something called CSR Unscripted, which again, also being done by some of the some of the noticed names in CSR, they're personal essays, you know, more video blogs, if you will. And we have just found video to be such a compelling way to engage with an audience that um, we do that mainly to demonstrate the power of that and to encourage people to go out and buy a flip camera, spend some time investing in video, and create some of those media assets. Well, and that's uh, that's why I bring up the point. I mean, I think if anything, one of the things that your site uh, really does, and I and and why I really recommend if you're interested at all in 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 distribution service for your for your content, is to look at the model that is so clearly demonstrated on on 3blmedia.com. It's really worth checking out. And under the CSR bloggers uh, tab, there is a great uh, list. Of active, uh, you know, uh, active bloggers in the space, and and uh, they're just creating some wonderful content, and and uh, so it's really worth checking out. And uh, Greg, uh, thank you so much for your time and wisdom today. We sure appreciate you joining us on the show. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. I just really enjoyed that conversation, you guys. I know this is sort of my space, but. I do think Greg was very understated about saying, oh, well, you know, I don't think this is, you know, setting any models or anything really unique or special. But I think that it is. I mean, I, I don't know about you guys, but I have not seen this sort of content distribution platform 
demonstrated in, in other niches. And I just think that um, it's an interesting model and I, I'm interested in what they're doing. Well, well I think, I, sorry, P, I, yeah, I, think that's, <laughs> I think that's why we were tempted. Uh, I, I mean, I was, I mean, we kept coming back to, okay, now creating the content or, you know, all these other elements of social media. I, I haven't heard uh, or talked to any company who really just is trying so hard to say, well, look, you know, what we're trying to be experts in is, is content distribution because it's so hard to do. And, you know, you kept re hearing different references to things like, um, I mean, even online reputation management, which we didn't get a, a real chance to talk about with them, or, you, you know, um, uh, companies that, uh, hey, you know, we don't want anything to do with Twitter. I mean, you have to have the conversation at some point. It's interesting that, that, that so much of their focus, uh, and it's not, by the way, we didn't talk much about the size of the company or anything, but there's a lot of great people on board, a lot of smart folks. It's not a one or two person uh, affair. Uh, obviously, they're dealing with some, some big size companies and some important um, uh, uh, communication messages, um, but to be so you know disciplined on on distribution, it's it's going to be very interesting to watch uh, what they do. Learn you know, more I, about I, it, I think it's one of those it. um, it, it's one of those things that the reason we don't see a whole lot, and, and there are to be fair, there are uh, you know some uh, a lot of companies that are that are working hard in the traditional kind of marketing messaging space to to act as distribution centers or distribution services and that's and and it it's it's competitive but it's competitive coming from sort of the top down for the very big enterprise right. level you know solutions right. and and it doesn't really get to one of the key points that that Greg brought up which is this idea of authenticity uh, and and engaging a whole company approach that more sort of holistic approach to driving um, to driving representation online and and I think that's a really key point and I think it's a key point that's that's um, you know worth looking at one of the reasons you don't see a whole lot of uh, companies doing this in his space I think is because like you said Dane I mean this is the hard part right C creating videos and and putting a podcast out and writing a blog post that's the easy stuff but figuring out how to actually get it in front of people in an environment in which there is so much noise and uh, that it's hard to discern the signal in it is hard uh it, it, i we didn't get to the question that i was kind of thinking which is that you know how what's his take on the long tail approach which you know when you're when you're a company like 3BL Media and you're looking to distribute to these communities you're really looking at the smaller niches uh i guess in some cases very large niches but the the niches that are really focused on on client where do those communities exist or not necessarily where but how do you find them how do you how do you determine what is a rich and appropriate community to to kind of work on inserting a client message i think that's that's a that's one that that i'm interested in and i hope he'll come back and give i was us gonna a, say a we'll just have to come back on in the future and do some follow-up yeah so. so uh that's uh that's the interview let's uh let's move on to uh let's move on to tools so the tool i wanted to talk about is uh well we've talked about it before it's the uh, uh magnificent hoot suite do you remember hoot suite do, you remember, do, do you remember the hoot suite yeah Dane, it's Dane, awesome Dane, this was use it every day yeah that, Dan, you use Hootsuite every day, right? You I'm know, sorry, not that every was, day. That was that <laughs> was uncool. cool. That was that was a that was a bus, and I I saw it coming, and I threw. I'm sorry. The, the trick is, Guys, I'm trying to phase out of technology here. I'm moving. To <laughs> Are you moving to Mexico? I'm, He's going back to pencil so, and paper and I'm, fax media releases. Ask me if I used a pen today. Just <laughs> well, sorry. the the reason I want to talk about Hootsuite is uh, well, it's I I have a reason. They have a new feature as part of Hootsuite that I think is really cool for companies uh, that manage a Twitter feed. It is Teams. 
uh, what they have done, and, and it's actually not that recent. It was probably a couple months ago, and I, I can't believe we we're just getting around to it. What they've done is they've added the ability to create owner accounts. So say you are uh, Coca-Cola, and you have the uh, a, a Twitter account for Coke. Uh, but if you want to be not the only person who actually tweets from Coke, uh, then you're going to need to give that password to the other people you want to be able to access that account and tweet. Well, that that's not always a good idea to just give the password to a major um, brand asset to, you know, up that to 50 people that may have some turnover. <laughs> right. You don't always want to do that. So what they've done is they've added something that, frankly, should be a part of Twitter at, in its core, uh, but to my knowledge is not team members. So you go in, you set up your Hootsuite account, uh, you uh, you add your brand Twitter account into Hootsuite, and then you invite team members to join you in this account. Then they will be able to add that account as a tab in their Hootsuite dashboard, and they'll be able to tweet to it and from it or, and, and follow the feeds and access it. And then when they are ter- turned over, unceremoniously escorted from the building, uh, you can remove them as a team member and they'll no longer have access to it. And so uh, it is a uh, it is a really handy way to centralize activity around a particular social uh, social networking uh, uh, platform. Now, of course, as Hootsuite, Hootsuite works with more than just Twitter. If you have your Facebook page, you can do the same thing. Um, you can uh, do the same thing with LinkedIn uh, corporate pages. I believe that's accurate. I may be just starting to make <laughs> stuff up there. We can get uh, we can get our man Dave uh, Olson back on to clarify if uh, if I start lying too much. But it is a really cool uh, a tool, and uh, it's if you haven't invested a little time to learn uh, about Hootsuite and get all of your social media Not assets in there. No, we wouldn't want to name any names. It's the best. It is um, the best. It's a very handy. I'm I'm not yet sold on the iPhone app uh, for Hootsuite. I'm still I'm still working with it. You know the Twitter. I I just really love the Twitter iPhone. It used to be Tweety, and I, I just yeah. love that app for the iPhone. So I, I haven't really uh, jumped ship, but, but... But that's another tool. Yeah, for Hootsuite is always open on my on my desktop, and it's one that is uh, really useful for, you know, if, if as Greg was saying in the interview, if you're, if you are monitoring your social media results, this is uh, a great tool for doing that. So that's all okay. I have to say about that. Amen. What else do we have, folks? Uh, anything else to talk about on the show today? I think we've... Covered we, quite a lot of ground. Did we do it? All right. Let's let's uh, let's go ahead and get out of here. Megan, if people want to find you, where do they go? I am at Megan Strand on the Twitter, or I am at Encouraged.com, which is I-N-C-O-U-R-A-G-E-D. Sometimes I can even spell it right. <laughs> You're going to have to register a lot more misspelled domains. Uh, Dane, where are you? Uh, I hope soon to be able to announce my new YouTube channel. But um, <laughs> for now, Strike10Media.com. Strike I am on YouTube, but I don't. I don't. You know, I, I'm, I'm coming up with a whole, uh, a, a whole sort of a show idea concept. So, well, weren't you? I mean, you're really working on that Bebo account, right? Your Bebo homepage in MySpace. Aren't those two really important for you, Justin? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that the man? Oh, is there anything nice. that we cannot? digress on no there really isn't my name is pete wright i'm at pete wright at the twitter and i'm at uh, fifthandmain.com you can learn all sorts of things about this very show at the nakedmarketers.com follow us on twitter at naked markets subscribe to the show in itunes that is the very best way to make sure that you don't miss a single episode 
Why would you ever want to miss I know, that a sounded, single episode of The Naked Market? sad when you said it. No, I, I, you know, I, I, even though we sometimes would rather have missed a single episode, <laughs> we're sure that you would never want to. Uh, and so we invite you to subscribe in iTunes. And uh, I think that's all I've got. On behalf of Dane Christensen and Megan Strand, my name is Pete Wright. This has been another episode of The Naked Market. Thank you.